Again, welcome to the 16th episode of Stories We Can Tell. I'm Jim McGinnis. This one is entitled, The Brave and Crazy Wings of Youth. How about that? The thoughts in my head over the last few days were about improvisation, audacity, passion, and youth. The stormy, husky, brawling shoulders of youth. And so this is what became of it. Hope you like it. I woke up with a fierce headache, but the dogs would not leave me be, so I ended up sitting on the back porch at sunrise. My first cup of coffee did what it did, and slowly the pain in my head lessened. As morning came upon me, I couldn't help but think of others who were out on their porches somewhere. Blythe and her husband would be sipping coffee, waiting for their girls to awaken, enjoying the quiet, but also planning the lessons of beauty and wonder they would teach their daughters today. I knew my brother-in-law was out on the dock with his dogs, checking the lagoon and gazing up at the sky, taking in everything he possibly could. I could see now, through the oath, that the sky had turned to pink and coral. I knew Jimmy Kaminsky would be filled with anticipation on a morning like this, planning his daily plunge into the ocean, among a hundred, hundred other possible adventures. But Jimmy was gone now, leaving a hole in the world, and I felt the weight of knowing that the coming day could break its promise. Jimmy was the youngest 60-year-old I've ever known. Today's the day, I whispered picking up my journal and thumbing through left-handed from the back to the front until I found the draft of an essay by the same name. In red ink, I had written a note to my students. I remember being young. I like to think there's a lot of young still in me. Don't spoil it by saying it ain't so now. What's great about being young is the promise of many days ahead. We spend time like it was money we found in the parking lot. But there's a trap in our youth. By always looking forward and upward, we may overlook today and let it slip away. I think Jimmy had that figured out. Today's the day. The treasure is today. Folks, a life can be reduced to moments. Experiences transitory in nature, fleeting, the very instant we're experiencing them, they're already slipping through our fingers. And to be sure, there are times we recognize that's special. And instinctively, we try to capture the moment with videos and still pictures, but only to miss the moment in the effort to hold on to it. (laughs) And I've said so myself that there is happiness in the warm expectancy of finding something good in tomorrow. But the joy of anticipation can't rob me of discovering something good about today. I think a good way of remembering Jimmy Kaminsky, of honoring him, of keeping him close, is to try to be more like him. Try to put others first, be a little kinder, more generous, a bit more cheerful, more genuine. Try to seize more days and stay young. I poured myself another cup of coffee and fed the dogs and jotted down a note, mostly about the weather, and then somehow I stumbled upon a Jim Harrison quote. We are wherever we've been. 
among other things. Now that made me think of Savannah, Western Carolina, and Vietnam. I drifted south to the Keys and Jamaica and Hemingway's Cuba, then over to Ireland and back to Florida. The color of the sky had turned to gold and I knew it couldn't stay. So I made up my mind to stop all this thinking and I went outside with the dogs following. The screen door slammed behind us. Last summer, I was having lunch with my daughter and granddaughters at Megomalley's, one of my favorite places. Former student came up and greeted us at the table and we had a pleasant conversation. He had become a fine teacher and coach at a high school south of here, and I loved to catch up and seldom missed a chance to brag on him. I was glad to see the young man, but on that day, he was noticeably frustrated and felt the need to vent, mostly about the subject he felt relegated to teach. Eleven years I've been teaching world history. I'm an American, he said, poking his own chest. There was no shame in his saying it, and there was certainly no shame in my hearing it. I sang the praises of world history and reassured him of his talents. And as we shook hands and he turned to leave, I felt refreshed by his metal and his grit. There was no self-importance in his tone, no immodesty. He just knew who he was. And the way my mind works, it all reminded me of a, an old movie I'd watched days earlier, The Wind and the Lion. That's a great movie. Brian Keith plays the great Theodore Roosevelt. The scene that got me was the one in which T.R. spoke of his belief that the grizzly bear is the symbol of the American character. Strength, intelligence, ferocity. A little blind and reckless at times, but indomitable, unconquered, but always alone. In his famous reflection, Roosevelt had gone on to say that even though the world may respect us and even fear us, it will never love us. Too much audacity, he said. Audacity. What does that really mean, anyway? Well, after lunch, I immediately searched for a definition on my phone. Merriam-Webster had two, and I was certain that what I had just witnessed in the young teacher was intrepid boldness, nevertheless rooted in his humility. I drove home and after letting out the dogs and apologizing for my absence, I pulled David McCullough's latest book from the shelf. The American Spirit was actually a compilation of his speeches and I flipped through and found some parts that I had underlined and highlighted. Knowing Who We Are was a speech he gave at Hillsdale College, and it slayed me again. In a few paragraphs, that historian pinned down the essence of the American character as the ability to improvise. Time and again, we rise to the occasion. From the formation of our government, our inventions and innovations to our art and music, improvisation was essential 
because we're constantly trying to do what had never been done before. Now that's audacity. Today, we see and hear an audacity which resembles the second definition, an arrogant disregard for civility and respect and kindness. And not only is there an arrogance, but a reckless abandon fueled by the lack of credibility of those holding power. And I must admit there are times I feel it inside of me and there are times I let it come out. I guess Buffett's right. There is indeed a pirate in me somewhere. And as the poet's westward moving brook, I have been known to run counter to myself. Still, I draw from my students and my children a trace of their intrepid boldness. Reaching back to Jefferson, there is in each of them a daring to pursue happiness. When I kept going back to McCullough's line about improvisation that whole day and uh, his pondering of all things of the building of the Panama Canal and how in the wide world of sports did we succeed while so many others failed? Well, you know his answer, improvisation. The magnificent ability to make do, to contrive, devise, adapt. And I could not help but think of Ken Burns' description of jazz, the most American of all art forms. Like the country, jazz is about freedom, improvisation, making itself up as it goes along, born of rugged individualists, but demanding selfless collaboration. Whether you're playing the saxophone, teaching history to 30 teenagers, or building a country from scratch, we seem to be at our best when we're winging it. The spirit of improvisation was so necessary to our founding, it became an essential trait in the American character. From walking on the moon to digging in Panama, our past tells a story of succeeding because we tried whatever would work. Our leaders today would sure do well to remember that. In the American spirit, Dave, David McCullough connected this drive with youth. He repeatedly used the words young and idealistic to describe the founders. The country was new, the idea was new, to do what had never been done before was a symptom of youth and contrary to popular belief. Most of the men of the revolution were not elder statesmen, save Franklin and a few others. They were young guns. Jefferson was 33 when he wrote the Declaration of Independence. George Washington took command at 43. Adams was 40. Hell, Hamilton and John Marshall were with Washington at Valley Forge in their mid-20s. The Federalist Papers, 85 SH, which have become the consummate explanation of the Constitution, were written mostly by Madison and Hamilton long before each, either one of them reached their 40th birthday. But I think that the youth McCullough is talking about goes beyond the chronological. To be young in this context, is to be naively brave about the possibilities. When Alexis de Tocqueville first called America exceptional, he saw the sunny optimism of youth. What's that saying? 
We didn't know what we didn't know. How could we fail? We didn't know how. To be young is to be non-cynical. Maybe Don Quixote wasn't crazy after all. Maybe he was just forever young. Cynicism, said Stephen Colbert, masquerades itself as wisdom. And it's a trap for young people. A rejection of the world because we're afraid it will hurt us or disappoint us. Maybe we should not be looking for a way back to greatness, but a way to recapture the spirit of a young country. The ability to see heroism and heroic tendencies. To be young is to be audacious, resilient, and improvisational. It is to be foolishly idealistic. For it is better, said Jim Harrison, to be cheesy and corny than to die a smartass. And just as Bob Dylan said it took him a long time to get young, it may take a while for us to reclaim our youth, to be once again naively brave about the possibilities. I made a note to myself, stay young. That's all for now. Thanks for listening. Until next time, this is Stories We Can Tell, and I'm Jim McGinnis, wishing you fair winds. <laughs>